Leadership New Jersey presents the 2008 Forum on the Future of New Jersey. Hello and welcome to Leadership New Jersey. This series of podcasts is based on the 2008 Forum on the Future of New Jersey, held October 15, 2008, in the studios of New Jersey Network in Trenton. I'm your podcast host, Steve Lubetkin. This year, in addition to the production of these audio podcasts, you can also watch the Leadership New Jersey Forum on the Future of New Jersey, courtesy of video recorded by New Jersey Network. To see the video, visit the Leadership New Jersey website at leadershipnj.org forward slash ffnj2008.html. There's a player on the page, and you can view all of the videos from the entire day's program. This is podcast number four in a series of seven programs in the 2008 Forum series. In this program, we'll hear the Lunchtime Governors Panel, featuring former New Jersey Governors Brendan Byrne and Jim Florio, along with Christopher Daggett, the chairman of the New Jersey DEP 2008 Permit Efficiency Task Force, and Roland Mackhold, a former New Jersey State Treasurer, in a conversation moderated by Kent Manahan of New Jersey Network. Now let's go to the lectern where Michael Willman, the chair of the Forum on the Future of New Jersey, will introduce the presenting sponsor's representative, Ann Limberg, the market president of Bank of America. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the president of the Bank of America, New Jersey. Is there a better organization in the world that one could be like a high-ranking official in these days? I think doesn't BOA own everything that's been left? Uh, that was supposed to provoke some kind of response, a little bit of a titter maybe, some, who knows? All right. So, uh, Anne is a resident of New Jersey. She lives in Mawa. She's been uh, with these organizations. Do you remember any of these names? Fleet, NatWest. She's also been with City, and uh, now, of course, with BOA. And among other things, she has been selected by New Jersey Business as one of the top 25 women of influence in the state of New Jersey. She is especially dear to us because each year her organization has been a primary sponsor of this event, and this year they have become the presenting sponsor of this event. We are very appreciative. Uh, we should tell you later about all of our sponsors because we certainly appreciate everything they've done, but particularly what Bank of America has done. And Anne is going to introduce you to Kent Manahan, who in turn will introduce you to the folks that she is going to be talking with for the next 45 minutes. Anne. Thank you so much, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm, uh, I'm really delighted that you took time out of what I know are some very busy schedules um, to join this dialogue today. I think it's an important dialogue at a very pivotal point in time. And um, I'm certainly delighted to be here and open this lunch session. And really, I'm looking forward to this conversation with our former governors, Byrne and Florio, and former cabinet officials, Chris Daggett and Roland Mackold, uh, and of course, moderated by my friend, Kent Manahan. Before I make um, the formal introductions and begin the panel, I would like to reflect on this year's theme, should New Jersey start all over, you know, with a clean slate and a fresh start? Is New Jersey in a state of crisis? And when Bank of America announced just four short weeks ago, it seems like much longer than that, but just four weeks ago, that it was acquiring Merrill Lynch to deepen our position um, as one of America's strongest and, and we believe most admired financial services company, little did we know that we would come to witness 
absolutely monumental history-making events in the days to follow, and the past week has been um, no exception to that rule. Just yesterday, the federal government outlined new initiatives to strengthen markets and the economy with a particular focus on ensuring stability in the nation's major financial institutions. And I think I can say that none of us could have predicted the extreme volatility that we have seen in the market and the financial services industry as a whole. It's an understatement to say it's been unprecedented, but that it has been. Thankfully, our organization continues to be strong and very stable, and um, we're very fortunate as we look forward to some wonderful prospects for the future. I can also um, say that I'm sure we would all agree that we can't start over, but we certainly can learn from the past, and we can take our successes and replicate them, but we can also take our failures, and we should understand what went wrong. The speakers that you've heard this morning, as well as those you'll hear from right now and later this afternoon, are here today to do just that, to help us learn from the past so that indeed we can continue to ensure that our New Jersey is a vibrant state in which to live and work for many, many years to come. Bank of America is very proud to have supported this particular forum for several years now, and in fact, we have several associates who are fellows of Leadership New Jersey. Leadership New Jersey plays a valuable role in strengthening the leadership of our state, and it's the actions of individuals working together that creates strong communities and a very strong New Jersey, and that's why we're here today. So thank you again for coming. And now let me really get to um, why I'm here, and that's to introduce this very distinguished panel, every one of whom is a true leader in all respects. And my first introduction is for our moderator this afternoon, Kent Manahan. Um, you probably feel like you've known Kent for years. Well, you have. Um, she's news anchor on New Jersey Network's Emmy Award-winning NJN News. Kent is a self-described New Jersey chauvinist. And she's been covering, covering the Garden State for more than 25 years, reporting on the events and the issues that have concerned all of us. And over the years, her work has been honored with five Emmys, the New York International Film Festival Award, as well as the prestigious Scripps Howard Journalism Award, New York Deadline Club, and Broadcaster of the Year Awards, among many others. You've probably seen her interviews with presidents, senators, governors, celebrities, and her reports on cancer in the workplace, domestic violence, education, and homelessness. Somewhere, she finds time to serve on the Board of Regents of Seton Hall University and the Board of the Tri-County Scholarship Fund for Disadvantaged Youngsters, Chair of the Jersey Battered Women's Services Capital Campaign, and for many years, she hosted the Easter Seal Telethon. As Ken says, New Jersey is my beat. I have the best job in the world for the best audience, New Jerseyans. Kent Manahan. And now to the rest of our panel. And, you know, I, I often have the privilege of introducing um, 
true leaders. And I have to say, every time I, I have the opportunity to read through the biographies and curriculum vitae of some of the great leaders across our state, I, I continue to be um, in awe of the accomplishments that, that they have um, taken on. And we've really benefited so much from that. Um, the first person that I'd like to introduce on our panel is uh, Brendan Byrne who graduated from our own Princeton University and then received his law degree from Harvard Law School in 1950. Brendan served, as you know, as prosecutor of Essex County, New Jersey, as president of the New Jersey Public Utility Commission, as assignment judge of the New Jersey Superior Court, and then as governor of New Jersey from 1974 through 1982. Governor Byrne is a former vice president of the National District Attorney Association, chairman of the National Commission on Criminal Justice Standards and Goals, chairman National Governors Association on International Trade, and a trustee of Princeton University. He is also an editor of the New Jersey Law Journal and of Irish Law Reports, and the former chairman of the Princeton University Council on New Jersey Affairs and United States Marshals Foundation. Mr. Byrne was a member of the Board of Directors of Prudential Insurance Company of America, New Jersey Bell Telephone Company, Elizabethtown Water Company, Jamesway Corporation, Ingersoll Rand, MacCalley Realty, Chelsea GCA, and he served as commissioner of the New Jersey Sports and Exposition Authority. And how did we not have you with Bank of America? I don't know. <laughs> um, our next very distinguished panelist is James Florio founding partner of the law firm of Florio, Perucci, Steinhardt, and Fader, based in Phillipsburg. Also founder and CEO of Expand, an asset management firm in Morristown. As you know, um, Mr. Florio served as governor of the state of New Jersey from 1990 through 1994. He entered public service in 1969, serving three terms in the New Jersey General Assembly. And prior to 1969, he was an attorney in private practice in Camden County. He graduated magna cum laude from Trenton State College and attended graduate school at Columbia University where he received the very prestigious Woodrow Wilson Fellowship. He also received his Juris Doctor from Rutgers University Law School in Camden. He's currently University Professor Emeritus for Public Policy and Administration at the Edward Blaustein Graduate School and Senior Fellow at the John Hedrick Center for Workforce Development at Rutgers. He also served as chairman of the Board of Directors of the Federal Home Loan Bank New York and as chairman of the Pinelands Commission in New Jersey. He currently serves on the Board of Directors of the NJ Healthcare Quality Institute. Mr. Florio holds numerous honorary degrees, and in 1993 he was the recipient of the Profile and Courage Award by the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation. And as chairman of the board of directors of the Federal Home Loan Bank New York, I think there'll be plenty of questions for him to say and plenty of experience. Next on our panel is Christopher Daggett, currently a principal with J.M. Sorge, Inc., a full-service environmental consulting and management firm and chair of the New Jersey DEP's 2008 Permit Efficiency Tax Force. He has also been active in acquiring, remediating, and redeveloping brownfield properties. Previously... He served as Deputy Chief of Staff to Governor Kane, Regional Administrator of the U.S. EPA, and Commissioner of the DEP. In addition, he was a Managing Director of William E. Simon & Sons, a private investment firm. 
Mr. Daggett's nonprofit activities include the DEP Permit Efficiency Review Task Force, the Somerset County Open Space Advisory Committee, the Trust for Public Land, the Schumann Fund for New Jersey, Regional Plan Association, the Hudson River Foundation, the Children's Environmental Health Center of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, and the UNC Institute for the Environment. Mr. Daggett attended the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and he received his BA with honors in interdisciplinary studies from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Welcome, and thank you. And finally, um, it's my pleasure to introduce Roland Mackold, who is a graduate of Yale and the Harvard Business School. After business school, he worked at Morgan Stanley for 12 years in the corporate finance department and was a vice president and shareholder when he left to join the state's division of investment in 1975. He served as director of the division for 23 years, and during his tenure, the assets under his responsibility grew from $5 billion to $76 billion when he retired in 1998. And that rate of return alone, I think, in today's environment will be worth several questions. <laughs> In 1999, Mr. Mackold became straight treasurer and served in that capacity until Governor Whitman resigned in early 2001 to take a cabinet position in the Bush administration. The governor's last full budget for fiscal 2001 realized a surplus in excess of $820 million. Mr. Mackold was a founding director of the Council of Institutional Investors of the National Association of State Investment Officers. He served on the boards of both Bryn Mawr College and Columbia Teachers College for an aggregate of 30 years. He and his wife Pamela and her family founded the Princeton Child Development Institute, a school and research institute in Lawrenceville, which provides services to the autistic community. And as I said, at the outset of the introduction of this panel, true leaders, every single one of them. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> well, thank you, Anne. And certainly this is a distinguished panel of four that we're going to hear from today, as Anne has laid out for us with all of their accomplishments and achievements. We're anxious to hear from them. And as we look out at you, such a powerful group of New Jersey leaders, talk about a power lunch as you eat your lunch, um, and uh, we are here to uh, answer some questions about some of the things you maybe discussed this morning and some of the things that are still on your mind uh, with our panel of experts. You know, uh, we're three, three weeks out or so, a little less, from a presidential election, of course, you know that. Here in New Jersey, a, a U.S. Senate election and congressional races will be going on. So talk about timing for Leadership New Jersey. Um, we're also in the middle of an economic crisis, and when this forum was planned, who could have ever thought that we had been brought to this state? Um, and maybe that would be part of our discussion today uh, with our panel members. So thank you to Leadership New Jersey for your invitation for all of us on behalf of the panel, and I think it's very, very timely to hear from these people here. I'm going to start with some questions and then open it up to you. So as you hear something that interests you, you might want to raise your hand or we'll at some point stop and take audience questions. We'll just sort of go with the flow. These folks are used to that. You know, they've been on television many, many times. They've been on NJN News. So they're ready for the limelight. 
They're good at soundbite answers, right, for our audience? <laughs> I'm warning them. We're going to try to stick to soundbites so we can get many questions in because of the concerns of, of, of our discussion today. So lights, camera, action, you're ready to go? All right, panel. Well, turning to a serious side, these are very tough times. You've heard about that this morning. I wasn't here for all of your session, but I did hear some toward the lunchtime hour. People are concerned. They're very concerned, and they're challenged. The state of the economy is on everyone's mind today. The stock market is merely a symptom of that. People are worried about jobs, how they're going to keep their families and educate their children, and how they're going to keep their homes, how they're going to keep everything together in these challenging times. And I think for our purposes here today, given that, we'd like to talk about not how we got to this state, but we have arrived. So what now do we need to do, and what do we need to do to move forward? Here in New Jersey, I think we're particularly challenged, as we've heard some of you say today. We have jobs leaving the state. We have some of the highest property taxes in the country. We have some of our high income, in fact, many of our high income people leaving New Jersey to places where they can pay less to live. We have the challenges here of a state budget that has been so-called bare bones. So what are we going to do in the here and now? Let's start with Governor Byrne. And from your perspective, Governor, uh, Governor Corzine will deliver a message tomorrow to a joint session of the legislature to outline his thoughts about this economic crisis and what can be done. The Republicans yesterday laid out their agenda to cut the sales tax in half for a period of time during the holidays to spur some economic activity. What, Governor, from your perspective, would you do and suggest to do? What should we do? Well, first of all, let me, let me thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I got, I, well, uh, I got a pen here that says Gibbons. You, you gave up pens. Uh, Gibbons was a classmate of mine. He did not go into politics, and he can afford to give everybody a pen. <laughs> I did go into politics, and I'm stealing Gibbons' pen. <laughs> that, that ought to put a lot of this in perspective. Uh, what would I do? Uh, and what should we do? Well, what should we, what should we do and what we can do are two different things. Ruthie and I discussed this on the, on the way down. She said if, if you're really at a clean slate, you would not have... Uh, pensions to worry about, you would not have had salaries to worry about, you would have not had benefits to worry about, and, and you would not have had the state debt to worry about. Well, that's, that's nice. Uh, but not the case. But that's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, the trouble, I think, with this state is, uh, and, and I sum it up in, in, a, in an expression I've heard, and that is this. If you're not getting something for nothing, you're not getting your fair share. <laughs> and, and, and that's what we want. We want everything. We don't want to pay for anything. And we've got to change that mental attitude. Uh, Do we have leaders, though, Governor, who are sometimes promising everything um, because of, of re-election concerns and, and so forth? 
And we Probably, don't, uh, everything is unfair, but, but promising a lot. But nobody, nobody is upset by that. Nobody is upset by that. Uh, and, and besides, what, whatever our, our debt is in New Jersey uh, today that you read about in the paper, you, you don't know how many agencies uh, have their own debt that you don't hear. Every state college in New Jersey has its own borrowing power, has its own debt, and, is, and, and has no way of paying it off. Who's, who's worried? How many? Give, give me that flicker. How, how many people are worried about the fact that New Jersey's colleges all have their own, their own debt and no way of paying? Should how we measure really this? Should we measure no, this on our... No, not measure. Michael, no. What, no? What? Can you do it? Can we do it? Show yes. hands. Well, Show hands. I think Michael said we can do this if, if we, we'd like to. We can. So phrase the question, Governor. How do you want to phrase it? Are you worried about the amount of state debt that the, that the state colleges carry. All right, so yes, if you're, if you're worried. Well, let's say you're very worried. That's five. It's not a okay. particular concern. It goes down to one. All right? We ready, Scott? Go ahead and vote, folks. Survey says? That's one of the most distributed spreads we've had. Yes, a third so, of the people are worried, a lot. The rest of it, boy, there's a big don't know up there. So I, it, it may be that people, these concerns are, are out of people's minds because their children aren't there yet or they're not there yet or it's no, or they're already passed. They're not worried about it because they don't have to face it today. They, they, don't have we, to, they don't have to come up with money. If you put a, another one on saying, if you had to take the money out of your pocket right now, would you be less or more worried? But anyway. All right. All right. Well, while you're doing that, and then we can give the results, let's, let's move this conversation yeah. over to, to Governor Florio <laughs> and get his input, because, Governor, is there really anything that a governor can do? Well, yes, there are lots of things you can do. I just wanted to, you made reference before to the fiscal crisis we have in this nation. One of the positive things that's come out of that, which I think has some ramifications for New Jersey, is it has effectively destroyed a lot of ideological stereotypes that people had. And for example, the idea that the government is of no value. Um, the government obviously has stepped in and has actually saved, we hope, the financial system we have in this nation. And so that um, you know, the marketplace has certainly a, a great role to play in allocating resources, allocating how we set prices and things of that sort. But it is not an unfettered blessing all the time. And so that we see there's a need for some degree of pragmatic collaboration, eliminating the silos that we put everyone into. And um, in New Jersey, I think we've gotten to an adversarial position entirely too frequently, developers versus environmentalists and things of that sort. Um, common sense tells you that there's not a lot of unanimity, although we see it in the fives on almost everything. If everyone is so supportive of all the things that people have been advocating, how come it's not happening? So it's easier to articulate. It takes a lot of hard work and a, hard, a lot of hard political work. I don't mean partisan political work. I mean political work in the sense that we need the politicians to be able to harmonize the diversity that we have about all of these issues. 
So someone's got to engage in laying out the parameters, laying out the options, laying out the alternatives, and then working through how it is we come to public judgment. There's a, um, a sociologist, um, Yankelovich, I think it's Daniel Yankelovich, who's written a book, wonderful book you ought to read, about coming to public judgment. The public opinion, polls, is a snapshot in time. Coming to public judgment entails the discipline of evaluating the options and then coming to hard decisions about things. And that's what we should be doing more of in New Jersey. We all know, we've articulated them here this morning, what the problems are. We have to come in and try to understand how it is we work ourselves through to pollutions. I notice there are a lot of people here from the uh, uh, public utilities, the electric utilities. And I was just thinking about how in, in the last number of years, a lot of people have been out there saying, oh, let's do this and we'll bring utility rates down. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Nothing is going to bring utility rates down, but there are things that can be done to conserve to become more fuel efficient and become more electric efficient. And so we will use less. Couch it in those terms. Don't hold out the prospect of something that's going to happen that is not going to happen, like lower electricity rates. That's not going to happen. But there are ways we can have benign outcomes by conserving, becoming more efficient, and we may use less electricity. So even though the rates went up, the total bill may be at least stabilized. It's an example of the type of thing that we have to do. The challenge of building consensus. Now, Roland Mackold, what do we do here and now and going forward faced with this economic crisis on a national scope and, and, and maybe magnified here in New Jersey when there's very little money? What would be your perspective on that? <laughs> a magic, a gosh, magic wand? <laughs> gosh darn it all, I'm just a hockey dad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that uh, every administration uh, faces faces uh, a budget crisis of some form or another. The demands are always greater than whatever is available. And um, I, I actually had to go up to the Institute for Advanced Study one time, and uh, they invited me to speak there. And I said, well, I'm really intimidated by your, your, your math professors. They're so good and so wonderful. Said, but I have to tell you, you don't deal in the kind of math I deal in. I deal in rhetorical math where infinite demands can be placed on finite resources. Mm -hmm. And I deal in theological math where every single expenditure is good and every fundraising uh, effort is, is negative and, and, and vicious, every tax. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a philosophical problem. We have to come to grips with the fact that we only have so much in the way of revenues and that those revenues can be enhanced in certain ways. But all of those have a cost to them in political terms or, uh, or even in, in, in a sense of uh, uh, if we make those expenditures, they may have adverse effects in some way that we can't anticipate. Um, it, it's, a it's a long process to get out of our current fix. What we can't do is wait for some benign uh, deus ex machina uh, to come along and have a big uh, revival. I mean, uh, the Whitman administration was very fortunate. They had a couple of years of 8 to 10% growth in revenues because we were going through a period of prosperity. That's not the luxury now. And the sad part is that government is counter-cyclical. That is to say, when people are hurting in the state and our revenues tend to fall off, so that's the same time when our expenses go up because the people uh, uh, need the funds to support them through Medicare and through other uh, forms of state aid. Um, 
I think to get out of the current situation, I've looked over uh, Governor Corzine's budget. He's making the right steps incrementally, and that's the only way you can do it. Uh, we got here incrementally, and uh, we'll have to get out of it incrementally. Is, is there any magic bullet that you see, Chris Dagan, and if you had a chance to talk to the governor the day, the day before he's to deliver this much-anticipated message to a joint session of the legislature tomorrow, is there any one thing you would advise him about? No, Kent, there is no magic bullet. Um, when you're dealing with government, you're dealing with a wide range of things simultaneously. Um, the difficulty here in New Jersey is that before this crisis, we, we had a difficult budget situation, very big debt load, um, a number of difficult issues facing us. Uh, this is only going to exacerbate it. So I think from the governor's perspective, the first focus should be on jobs. Um, uh, we also have to deal with some of the very difficult issues of the budget that we sort of talk about it a little bit every now and then, but no one really addresses. We talk about cutting the budget. It usually means going to departments and cutting departmental budgets. Uh, having had a good deal of experience in government, I can tell you that only goes so far. Uh, what we're going to have to deal with in New Jersey, like it or not, uh, is the issue of pensions, uh, the issue of health care costs, the issue of aid to, aid to municipalities, aid to schools. Um, we can't live as high on the hog as we have uh, for long periods of time. Every year, uh, municipal employees, uh, school employees are getting 3 and 4 and 5% increases in salary. Uh, we have to take a hard look at those things and make a decision as to whether or not we're going to continue along that path. And in doing so, uh, we have to do a couple things. One is, um, and this is where I agree with Governor Florio, sometimes in times of crises, things give you opportunities. Um, and the opportunity now is to not be quite as partisan as we've been. Uh, we've been very polarized in this country for quite some time with the two political parties. We need to bring people together, and we need the kind of leadership that says uh, uh, politics aren't going to matter as much as solving the problems. And we talked a lot today about structural changes in government. Structural changes in government aren't going to fix anything in the short term. The only thing that's going to fix something in the short term, frankly, is the will of the people and the will of the politicians to get together and do it. Um, there's no other excuse. I mean, we can, we can keep putting this off or we can address uh, the real issues. And at this point, I think we've gotten down to the point where it's time to address the real issues. Should we open it up to the audience for, for some questions? Would you, anyone here, like to, yes, ask, ask the panel? To whom would you like to ask your question? I think we can probably... Or, or you can repeat the question. I can repeat the I question. Okay. Speak it loudly. I'm Karen Hatcher from Celebrate New Jersey. And this uh, question is to Governor Florio and Governor Byrne as governor and leaders. Um, I believe it was Einstein who said that uh, you, can't solve the, the you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that you created the problem with. So my question is, what is the higher level of thinking that's needed here in the state to actually begin to solve the problem. It seems to me it's not, if we operate within the same model, in the same thinking, and we keep tinkering with the same pieces of the puzzle, it's not exactly going to get it done. We're going to stay in the same paradigm, if you will. So what is the higher level of thinking? What, what do we need to do? How do we get out of, step out of it enough so that we can think get some more real solutions? I yeah. think Chris touched on that a little bit. Brendan, yeah. would you lead off? I think probably you need one-term governors in New Jersey because the problems are not popular in their solution. 
they, uh, <laughs> frankly, the governors who've done the best job in New Jersey, the governors who served only one term. Well, the first term is all about running for the second term. Isn't that correct? I mean, well, it, it could be for something else. <laughs> uh, Governor no. Florio, your, your perspective well, on I that. Well, I think, I mean, there's a need for leadership to take the time and the trouble to go and explain not only short-term ramifications, but long-term ramifications of different policies, and willing to get through the thin veneer of opposition to everything. I mean, whatever it is you talk about, there'll be somebody out there that will be unhappy. You've got to sort of punch through that and then take the time to understand the dimensions of what you're talking about. And while something might be, you know, no one likes taxes, but the fact of the matter is taxes pay for things, explain what it is that's being paid for, and then someone <coughs> might be willing to say, okay, I don't like it, but I want a good school system, or I want a good transportation system. So engagement on the part of um, leaders, and I just don't mean political leaders. I mean business leaders, people in the different professions, they have to be able to go and talk about long-term interests of everyone rather than just the immediate short-term interest to get you through the hostile meeting or get you through whatever it is you have to get through um, with the audience that you're talking to. You notice he used the word phrase, punch through that? <laughs> Do you think he knows a thing uh, or two about that? <laughs> Any other questions here to some of our other panel members? Yes, sir. The question has frequently come up with respect to reducing the number of municipalities or the number of school districts. And every time we do a survey that I've attended, we've seen the very high score. And I know Governor Florio just mentioned, how come it hasn't happened? My question to you as leaders is that, you know, both governors especially, that here you have the legislative leaders and you as the governors are the people in a position to make a change. I, having served as a board member as well as a, a mayor of a town, uh, did not feel that we had the ability to make that kind of a change even though you could try to regionalize services and try to... So you your know. question My is question to you is, what would it take in terms of either a political sacrifice or real leadership to actually bring that about? Well, I think, I think uh, we've touched on some of that. But, Chris, you, you served as, as a, in staff uh, in Governor Kane's office, chief of staff. So why don't you outline some of the challenges that, that are faced with that? I mean, th that goes back historically in New Jersey. We are a home rule state. We are a home rule state, and, and we're going to fight over this for a long period of time. I, I go back to the point, we're not going to solve this in the near future, uh, either with the number of municipalities we have or the number of school districts we have or whether we should have counties versus towns. Um, all those are important questions, and we need to grapple with them. But we have a problem here and now today, mm -hmm. and we have to figure out how we're going to address that. The only reason, the only way I know how to do that is to get people in a room and start banging heads together and telling people we need to work together. We need to cast aside partisanship. We need to, it doesn't mean to give up your values or give up your beliefs, but you have to work in the spirit of trying to get things done together. Brendan Burns' comment, um, if you think about that comment and think seriously about it, if you live in New Jersey and you're not getting something for nothing, you're not getting your fair share. That's a pretty interesting comment, pretty um, uh, uh, interesting uh, analysis, but I think there's a lot of truth in it, and we need to get past that approach in New Jersey and, frankly, in across this country if we're going to solve the problems that are before us today. Roland, do you have a, a comment? Piggyback off that. Well, uh, on, <clears throat> the, on the school thing, I was actually at a, at a uh, 
forum at Trenton State, and they asked me a similar question. They said, what would it be like if the state had just one school district? Now, well, we uh, use the Maryland model of, of, of 21 counties one school or district. 20 counties. Well, okay, that's another model. But they asked me if, what it would be like to have one school district, and frankly, that's an unanswerable question. But I did say we'd have an awfully good football team. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the basketball team could beat St. Anthony's, you know. <laughs> But the this, this serious part to that is that this is so ingrained in our system, and it has to be explained that major savings could be realized by a consolidation. I, I'm intrigued by Governor Corzine's plan. It, for many years, we've had a fund set aside for uh, municipalities to merge, and we would help them do that. There was $20 million in one of the budgets that I worked on. And uh, not a single municipality took advantage of that. They weren't the least bit interested, see. Now they've turned it around where the smaller towns uh, aren't going to get any school aid, supposedly. I don't know if that is effective or not. It, but instead of using a carrot, they're using a carrot and a stick. Uh, the carrot doesn't work. So I think that the bigger stick is needed. But I think that's going to be that much harder to do politically. So uh, I don't have a lot of, of confidence that this can't be done politically. But certainly the right thing to do. Everything that Corazon has proposed to try to solve this problem has either been rejected or has cost him dearly in popularity. Everything. It's been rejected by whom, Governor? The legislature. Right. Made, has, where where has the to, Democrats are in, in the majority. Yeah. So is, has it been, in your no. estimation, rejected by, by both parties then on, as an equal opportunity? Rejection? You, you, you need to of course. 41 votes. Right. And if he can't get 41 votes, he doesn't, he doesn't go anywhere. Next question. <laughs> yes, Ruthie. The governor's about, wife. <laughs> we're talking about money here, right? Every problem goes back to money. And I think uh, Johnny Mack told me when he was treasurer, 70% of the budget are, is mandated. Am I correct on that? Right. It this may, year's be, budget it may be a is higher. 73% is what. Okay, yeah. So all of this relates, as I see it, back to unions, long pensions, health care. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, of that 73%, a good portion of it is, is uh, educational aid. Good big portion. And, and another uh, substantial portion is municipal aid. So it's not, uh, obviously unions are one of the factors in all of the pricing of all these things. But things like health care costs, for example, are, are just going up at 12 to 15% a year. Uh, the cost drivers are, are very strong. The answer to your question is um, it isn't any one group of people the local people want to have small schools that they feel affiliated with. They're willing to pay the price, or at least they, they are paying the price whether they like it or not. But that's the alternative is to have a bigger school with perhaps more facilities and so forth. But that would have an immense cost to be able to convert it into a county system or to a, uh, some sort of a regional system for schools. state of North Carolina with the same uh, population as we have has 120 school districts. As you know, we have 610 and uh, uh, they have 40 of those districts, by the way, are up in the mountains, and they don't, they're very small. So they have these massive school districts. I can't say that they have better education than we do, uh, or cheaper for that matter. Uh, this is one of those things you have to work on with a spreadsheet. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that any radical restructuring of the schools and of the municipalities uh, would have tremendous upfront costs and might very well not be, uh, not be as effective as we'd like to think it would be. Any other questions or comments, Chris? If, if we're going to, we need we need leaders who in the in the 21st century. If if you talk about a clean slate, 
We need people who are going to, um, once they get into office, particularly in the governor's role, uh, take much more, in my view, of a nonpartisan approach. We need to bring people together um, to solve these problems in a way that hasn't been done to date. I think one of the reasons that Governor Corzine's uh, proposals have been rejected is you can make the argument that uh, maybe he didn't do the proper job, as Governor Florio talked about, of educating people about the problems. Although, actually, for the most part, if you look at that, I think most people in New Jersey know what the problems are. But the other piece of that is figuring out how to get the different parties together at the table and uh, uh, slog through the issues. In the task force we talked about, the DEP task force that's been mentioned a couple times here, there was a very disparate group of people uh, that sat down together. And over four months of time, uh, we managed to get a unanimous report, um, which it's not perfect. Uh, but if we implemented all the recommendations that were in that report, the DEP would operate in a much more efficient and effective fashion. We need to do that at other levels of government, particularly um, when we have the kind of fiscal crisis that's facing the state at the moment. And you would well, like to One of the things, we, we sort of beat ourselves up a, sometimes a little bit too much because many of the things that we're concerned about um, really should be dealt with at a higher level of government, the federal government. I mean, because we talked, we've talked today about, I saw one of the numbers of the fives was we should increase the income tax. And yet at the same time, we've heard people, well, if you do that, high earners will leave. They'll go to some other state. And they We have. talk periodically about um, our environmental laws are very good, but if they're too stringent, someone will go to another state. So there's much more that should be done at the national level so as to allow us to take hard decisions, make hard decisions, without the threat of someone going to a place where you have a lowest common denominator. So hopefully, after this election, we'll have a higher degree of, of a sense of responsibility as to what federal responsibility should be that will relieve some of the pressure at the state level. I think we might have time, yes, for a last question. It's a nice segue. Gary Gelman, Gelman Images. In my community, the school teacher, one of the school teachers makes uh, $95,000 a year with, I'm not sure if she has a master's or not, with working 190 days and all the pensions and the health care. Is that enough money to pay a teacher? And when do we stop? Governor, would you like to, to no. take that on? <laughs> <laughs> the, the teacher, the teacher, not, not the principal or a, a, an administrator, a teacher makes 95000 <laughs> Well, we don't know her, her personal uh, biography, yeah. but in general. This it's, it's I, a, there's I, a, a great book written by a friend of mine, Frank McCord. It's called Teacher Man. Uh, Frank uh, became famous for Angela's Ashes. But uh, read Teacher Man. One of the criticisms he has is that we in government pay attention to the wrong people. We should be paying attention to the teachers. We should be understanding the teachers, not the superintendent. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't begrudge any teacher making $95,000 or more, frankly. Um, but I think we need to develop a system that ties it better than we can today to outcomes. Um, and when we have failing schools, we shouldn't um, uh, be hesitant to uh, do whatever's necessary to make that school better, whether it is um, charter schools um, or 
um, uh, takeover of school districts. I don't really care what it is. The, the, the primary and sole focus should be on whether we're educating those children. And if it means uh, any number of different experiments to do that, including giving teachers maybe $150,000 if they consistently and continually uh, can get the high outcomes, I don't have a problem with that. But we also need to figure out how to weed out those who aren't doing their jobs well. Well, I think we're just about at the closing of our time here, our window of opportunity. And in hard time, uh, when we have a live broadcast, we have a hard out. But let me take just an extra one minute, if I can, because I have the liberty here, and just ask for a closing comment, a real brief closing comment from each of you. Uh, there's a presidential debate tonight, an election in three weeks. Tomorrow, the governor delivers his economic uh, answer, the answer to New Jersey's economic crisis uh, before a joint session of the legislature. We heard the Republicans yesterday uh, talk about their answer of cutting the sales tax. What would you like to hear? What do you think we need to do? Just in summary, Governor. Well, I'm replace the adversarial model of our society to the degree that we can with a much more collaborative model of a society. Chris? I'd echo that, and I'd add that no matter who wins in three weeks, we need to all get together behind the winner and figure out how to solve some of these problems. Roland? I can't argue with those uh, propositions. We definitely need less partisanship and, and better informed leadership. Leadership itself uh, has fallen by default into bumper stickers and, and personality and contests. And uh, I think if somehow, because certainly the individuals themselves won't do it, but maybe an election would do it, we can get them to get talking on an intelligent uh, and, and thoughtful uh, manner about these issues. Governor Byrne. The most encouraging thing I've seen lately is the poll that shows that the nastier the candidates get, the more the public is rejecting them. That's yes. an exciting and an encouraging statistic. A new development in yeah, the political I arena. So. I think well, so. let's give our panel a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you so much. They have very busy schedules, all of them, and they thought it was important enough to be here with all of you, New Jersey's leaders, today to share their perspective. So thank you all for listening. Michael? We're going to have an unscheduled moment here. An unscheduled We've asked these four distinguished panelists to stay where they are, and we're going to ask... Elizabeth Christofferson to join us. And Leadership New Jersey would like to recognize Kent Manahan. Is there somebody that you can think of who better deserves this description? Somebody who's reached iconic status in New Jersey? <laughs> Certainly, you've welcomed her into your home for 25 years. The members of the class of 2008 of Leadership New Jersey uh, who are standing and are about to join us would like to do two things. They would like to, as they say, pin you, which means you're going to be an honorary graduate of Leadership New Jersey, and Thank they would like to much. present you with a gift. So we've That's asked your colleagues nice. on the panel to stay, and so come on up, guys. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Kent, if you would join us, please. Bree, if you would. We'd like to honor Kent Manahan for, <laughs> for her decades of service. We have Karen Hatcher, who is the Executive Director of Celebrate New Jersey, on behalf of the class of 2008, welcoming Kent Manahan as an honorary member of the class of 2008 Leadership New Jersey.
And we have Marie Kinsella. And Marie Kinsella presenting uh, a gift on behalf of all of us here at Leadership New Jersey, thanking you for your service. I came here um, after uh, studying my notes and figuring out what I would ask to try to stump this panel. Um, I didn't do that, <laughs> so maybe I failed in my job uh, in that sense, but I had a lot of fun today. And to be able to do this before New Jersey's uh, corporate and, and political and community leaders is truly an honor for me. Um, I guess in some ways I've been doing this for most of my adult life, and I feel like we all know each other, and many of us do, and it's been my pleasure to be here with you today and to accept this honor. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this Leadership New Jersey podcast program. Be sure to listen to the other podcasts in this series and let us know what you think of these programs by sending an email to lnj at professionalpodcasts.com. We produce these podcasts in the studios of Professional Podcasts, LLC, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. For Leadership New Jersey, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for listening, and take good care.